Um, this is called stage two right here. Stage number two, the pre-interview tips is what it's called here. Uh, so we're talking about pre-interview tips. Um, from your perspective, what is what are what are the topics that encompass pre-interview? Like what, what are we thinking about? What are we talking well, about? Well, pre-interview is making sure that your resume is strong and it's not in a CV format because sometimes internationals have a CV type format that is too long. Uh, it doesn't stress their work experience. It puts in appropriate things. And I know working with you, you help them make sure that they're getting the right material on it. They're not mm -hmm. putting a picture uh, on their resume, things like that. They're not mm -hmm. putting their family relationships there. Mm -hmm. um, and that, then they then develop that plan for how they're going to form relationships mm -hmm. and have a master plan that lays out all the things that it's going to take for them to do. And I think yep. that's important. And I think then building the LinkedIn profile and starting to have relationships, going to events to network and coming up with the right ways to form those relationships. Uh, I talk in the book about how do you make the small talk? Mm -hmm. um, how do you, if you're going to sit next to me, um, I don't want to hear that you're the best in data analytics, but what are the things that you might want to engage me on as a discussion if we're standing next to each other um, at a cocktail party? What could you ask me mm -hmm. um, that's going to make me enjoy talking to you? Because it's about that sense of enjoyment and getting to know you and for you wanting to get to know me, that makes for a better relationship. And then I'm going to be willing to uh, maybe invite you in to shadow with me for a day or invite you to come to an event that we have or mm -hmm. make an introduction to the hiring team. Mm -hmm. But it's all those things that are forming relationships that happen. Yeah. And I noticed that in the book specifically, you have a section where you address what specific topics could yeah. be part of that discussion when you meet somebody for the first time, which, yeah. which is a good reason to get this book, by the way, just that by itself. Um, I have found that one piece of advice that has been controversial for me in the sharing of, um, you know, of, of pre-interview advice um, relates to the use of easily to pronounce uh, English names. And you recommend taking an easy to pronounce English name in the book. Um, and, you know, I myself, in my experience, when I was in China, I, for probably 10 years of my of my career, which was living and working in China, I used a Chinese name. And for me, that was to maximize ease of communication. Um, and and I've all, I found that to be controversial because I have taken that idea to... Uh, into a school environment and, and taught the idea of using an easily pronounced English name. <clears throat> and there's, there, there was, I think, I think I kind of like caused the university to have a meltdown because the students revolted. Yeah. <laughs> they were, they were, they, they looked at this from the aspect of what's inclusive. Right. And what's and DEI. And I'm not there. I mean, I am a huge, I am a, I'm a supporter of inclusiveness and openness and from my perspective, I was just trying to think, okay, what's a thing that can help this person quickly connect with another human being on this planet and reduce, and, and but then the argument, the, the pushback is, well, Stuart, you should, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, uh, uh, we shouldn't be letting this bias or unconscious bias as it might be, you know, decide how we call ourselves. You know. Yeah, and, I think it's a great question. Um, and there is research on this. It shows, again, with resumes, if the same resume is sent in to a job, a man's name is taken more often than a female name on the same job resume for the same application. Mm -hmm. uh, Caucasian names are taken over African-American names. 
in, you know, Caucasian names are taken over names that seem to be a foreign name. And so there are biases in our system. And so the question is, do you want to um, hold to what you do um, and also have less chances? Or do you want to modify it in a way that is acceptable to both the employer or that potential interviewer and that you don't feel is necessarily compromising your own personal values? So right. I think there are a range of things. One, you can have a nickname. You can say your own name, and then you can have a nickname that you put in quotes. Um, you can use your authentic name um, right from the start and know that it may limit you, and you're willing to accept that, because if it's a name that I can't say, we're sitting here in my office, and if I can't say your name, I am not going to walk next door and introduce you. Mm -hmm. I just won't you do it. be shy. I, I just won't shy. do it because yeah. I can't say your name. You're shy. And, and so as, I'm going yeah. to either consciously or unconsciously not be willing to do that. And that's, you know, again, a, a cost to you for meeting people. Or you can use a nickname and hope then that once you're hired, you can train me on your authentic name. And say, you know, Betsy, yes, my nickname was Nook, but once I start working with you, my real name is Tavet Serini, and I would like you to use that and then encourage me to use your authentic name. So I think okay. it's a choice. I also think it relates to using your uh, Gmail, um, LinkedIn, trying to be consistent so that mm -hmm. it's easy when I see your resume, when I introduce you, when I look at you up on LinkedIn or your Gmail account, that it's consistent. Um, and that makes it easier for me right. to want to hire you. So if you do it, you make it easier for you. And if right. you vary from that, you may feel better about yourself, but it just be aware that that's something that could be a little bit limiting. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I just for me, having having lived in different countries, yeah. I, I just don't tend to wear that, that name as, 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 as to wear that name as, as it, as though it represents who I am necessarily. But it's funny though, because I'm Stuart and certain people are not allowed to call me Stu. <laughs> you know, it's like my parents would never call me Stu, but some people will, you know? So it's funny, even just like our own names, we have these yeah. like, like, are you Elizabeth or are you Betsy? Right. Are you Elizabeth to some people? I am Elizabeth to some people. I am <laughs> Betsy to some people. But when I lived in France, I used the name Elise. Okay. Because they don't use Betsy, but they do use Elise. And so, again, I wanted to have a name that was uh, of the culture because I wanted to have it be a good fit mm -hmm. because I wanted to be part of their culture. Right. Um, I didn't want to have them use my name and have it be jarring or right. a disconnect. Right. I wanted to be part of their world and be successful right. there. So, But I think the times have changed and that mm -hmm. idea of using your authentic name has more validity now than ever. And if you want to keep your authentic name, I think you should just know that there may be ways you shorten it. There may be ways that you find the nickname within your authentic name. You don't have to name that's totally different, um, but you might find a way to make it easier for me to help you. Well said. Cover letters. Yes. Yes, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Cover letters. Yes. Okay. Why? Why yes? Um, even when you apply, sometimes they just say to upload your resume and they don't even ask for a cover letter, but you can do the PDF, you know, you can do it in a way that you attach a cover letter. I think that the cover letter allows you to make the two or three points about why you really are a good candidate for that job, because your resume may have one page or maximum two page of experiences that may not be clear to me as the hiring manager or the HR talent acquisition person. Why do you think you would be good to work for me at my bank, mm -hmm. at my university. But if you say, these are the three things I've done, 
that really prepare me to excel at what you need, I am going to be more favorable. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've just seen that. I have hired many people myself. And I know it's hard to do, and I know it's extra work, but I think it may mean the difference of your being in the short pile that is given a phone interview before you're invited in or being put in the pile that they don't bother with. Yep. Okay. Okay. So it's a yes. Cover letters are yes for your for your note here. Networking. Uh, again, still part of section two of this book, you're talking about networking. And there is, you talk about the resistance to networking that, that can arise. Networking, yes or no? I would say networking is really better discussed as relationship building. And I say definitely yes. Uh, people who know you, who like you, we talk in the book about likability. Um, if they like you, they are going to uh, go the extra mile for you. They're going to want you to come to a reception. They're going to want you to come to an event. So I think that that idea that that whether you call it networking, relationship building, putting yourself with other people so they will have a chance to know you and bring you forward, I think is so important. Yeah, I noticed that on especially on uh, LinkedIn today, the the there are influencers out there like Jerry Lee, Reno Perry, uh, Austin Belchek. You know, they're constantly talking about networking or getting hired without a resume. So. There's something there's something to be said there, right? It's not just well, there is, and sometimes know. international students, um, because they're going to have to hire you into a job in some ways that an American cannot do. Um, they need to really understand who you are and like you and want to go the extra mile. One of the words I use in the book, um, particularly in the chapter about international students, is the word irresistible. Mm -hmm. And that is the word I almost called the book that, and there were some reasons that I didn't. But mm -hmm. for an international student, you need to be irresistible so that mm -hmm. the employer will decide that if they need to hire an immigration lawyer, they will. Right. If they need to take extra time, they will. Um, if they have to... Uh, write a job description because they met you and they thought you were captivating and smart and a problem solver and would be a great addition, they may have to create a job description mm -hmm. that they're going to post that you uniquely can fill mm -hmm. and that they then can say, oh, you know, in this financial firm, we never had anybody that needed to have global insights before, but now we're going to write that job description that the person needs insights into the Indian market. Right. Now we do. And now we, we need, do. We and when you insights. write that job, it suddenly looks amazing like you. And so that's because you were in that relationship, you networked and they were uh, impressed with you. They thought you were irresistible and then they wanted you. That is such a something. So it's a, a new a new vision of how one might get a job compared to what we're mostly hearing. Submit your resume and then there's this right. dried and cut job, job you might fit there. into. Yeah, you fit that job, but they create jobs. And I you know, a number of our employers in St. Louis um, and around the country that say they don't hire international students, that they don't sponsor visas, every one of them I know actually has done it when somebody was irresistible and that they thought would be a problem solver and a very valuable addition to the team. Mm. They create it. Wow. I mean, I think you've covered this, but one of my questions would be, you know, what is what has been the most consistent argument that has, so you've, you've come across people who have been resistant to the concept of networking. What has been an argument that you've seen that has convinced other people to network when, in fact, they might have had that hesitation? I think to understand the American um, importance of likability mm -hmm. and that relationship and that that will be a tiebreaker. And so if you can do your job and sit there and, quote, do the job, somebody who has an ability to go beyond that is going to not only get the job in the beginning, 
but will be promoted. And so it, it right. works really both short term and long term for you to understand the importance in the American market of those relationships and of having that likability factor mm-hmm. with the people you're going to interact with. Yeah, we're going to we're going to talk talk more about that in yeah. stage five. Uh, the the idea of networking now, uh, it's it my my observation is that it's not just about getting the job today because if you become that person, let's say you get hired, and you you did have that comfort with networking, and you will get hired. By the way, I know you're going to do it. Um, how are you, how do you stay? How do you be retained by that company? How do you receive promotions is it and what you're what we'll get to in that section is it's not just based on your work product correct but there's just something else there's other factor Definitely. involved and the idea of, of networking plays a, a large role there what about those people who are on a campus um is it is it enough to network with your professors I think professors can be helpful. Um, Some of them have business connections. Some of them are asked by employers, you know, who are your three best accounting students or who are your three best financial students? So they are asked and they are often viewed as a a source Mm -hmm. of talent. But there are many ways you can go beyond the campus, both physically and on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, depending on what you see, there can be a um, financial management association in your community. And you can go to their meetings. We have a American Marketing Association in St. Louis. They have a monthly lunch. You mm-hmm. could go. The AMA. The right. AMA. And so right. in each city, there's an AMA. And if you're in marketing, you can go. And if you're sitting next to me, because I was a marketing executive at Nestle, if you're sitting next to me and talking about your marketing and what you're learning and what's new in the marketing field, I'm going to find that very interesting. Mm-hmm. So you have to get yourself to that lunch. Or you might say, oh, the American Marketing Association has a speaker from this company. I can't make it to the lunch, but I'm going to connect with LinkedIn with that speaker and say, you know, I'm so sorry I can't be at the lunch with you, but I would love to have a discussion with you. Or maybe you could send me some information um, after you give the talk about your speech, and I would Mm -hmm. love to follow up. So you have to be looking. You can also connect. There's chambers of commerce. There's Chambers for the Engineer Society. There's chambers for the Asian community, the CFA or the society. community, yeah. the, C- the, the CPA Society. There are networks in every community that are sitting there waiting, and they really often would love to have international students there. You can volunteer. Sometimes you might see, for example, that they're having a luncheon and it's going to be fifty dollars. You might call them and say, I can't afford $50, but could I volunteer and work your front desk and then have a free lunch because I'm going to come help you? They may well say yes. And again, it's my 50% rule. 50% of the time, they'll say, I'm sorry, we can't do that. Hmm. 50% of the time, someone's going to say, that's a great idea. We would love to have you. And yes, we'll make it free for you if you come and help us volunteer. Hmm. I think I just discovered the secret to having an awesome life. Every time you get that question in your mind, should you or should you not? 50%. Just keep doing that over and over and you'll be building those successful moments on top of each other. One, 50% of the time you'll be successful. And when you're turned down, what you'll just say is, okay, that's one of the 50% no. The next time it will be a 50% yes. That's okay. Yeah. I remember, you know, even for me, I remember when I was in graduate school looking for a job, I had an internship. And this is the key internship where you're, you're supposed to get the return offer. And that's supposed to be the, the end of your job hunt because you've successfully completed that internship. And I did not get a return offer. And the, that, that caused me to reflect a lot on what I was doing here. Right. And 
the fact that I didn't get the return offer shined an important light on things for me. Right. Why not? And it compelled me to figure out the things that I didn't know. The benefit of the internship was that I learned about this field, this industry, and I knew I liked it. And then not getting the return offer then propelled me to go and research those things that I need to have so that the full-time offer materialized. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and so that that, right. that that propelled me. So yeah, that's another that's another aspect of this whole thing with the 50, 50% is at the end of the day, uh, it might just be 100%. You always win when you make the effort because right. it's either you get the thing or you don't get the thing and you get the learnings as to why you didn't get the thing and that that propels you to get the thing. That's right. Right? Um, are there so another question here is um, uh, let me just jump to internships because we were talking about that. Why are these? And you talk about this in the book. Why are these traditionally hard to get for foreign-born individuals? Well, often the companies uh, and the organizations look at internships as a way to test the talent to see if they want to give them a full-time offer to come back. Mm-hmm. And so, if the organization is not in the um, norm for them to have international people hired full time, they then won't take them in the internship program Mm. because they say, why would I use that spot if I'm not going to be able to consider you for a full time job? And this gets into the difficulty between the hiring managers, the HR departments, the Mm. corporate policies. And so they often will say, no, can't even have you as an intern Mm. um, because we're not going to be able to hire you full time. I see. And so then that so then the, the solution to that is to, of course, read this book, <laughs> acquire this book, and, and follow the steps uh, specifically relating to what we just talked about. In a nutshell, it's becoming that irresistible. Well, then there's some ways. Right? So, for example, you might say, um, could I come in and shadow somebody for two days? Right. Uh, that's not an internship. But if you get in there and could spend two days with mm. someone, then they find you know may find you to be so terrific, they mm. want to invite you back. Or yeah. You could do a project through your university. You could say, I really want to learn about Emerson. Um, I wonder if I could do my capstone project at Emerson. Mm. And so you then do a project with one of those business leaders. So again, you weren't an intern, but you did a project and someone got to meet you and they then found out you were so smart. You are irresistible. They want to bring you back. Mm. They're going to violate the rules. They don't normally do this, Mm -hmm. but they're going to bring you back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's that's an interesting point. So the, the thing about rules, right? Rules get broken um, all the time. <laughs> the idea of having, say, a sponsorship policy, the, the companies are not in service of a policy. They're there to help their customers make money, be successful. They're there to solve problems in the market. That's how they get paid. Or they're a nonprofit and they're there to have an impact like the St. Louis Mosaic Project, like the St. Louis Economic Development uh, Partnership. They're not, not necessarily there in service of an HR policy. And I think we, sometimes we miss that. Well, and often the hiring manager right. may want to hire you, but they are being told by HR they can't. Mm-hmm. And so then they need to find a different way to bring you in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have to find another way around it. So they do that. Yeah, maybe it's as they simple as it. changing the job description. Now we need India expertise. Now we need China right. expertise. And then HR is like, oh, well, okay, well, I guess we need to expand our pool of potential That's applicants right. here and consider the international That's right. component there. 